Brooks, Dan Cilio, Middle. Welcome aboard here. Wednesday already? Is this work? It doesn't seem like work, man. I get to shoot the with you. It doesn't <laughs> seem like work, man. I get paid RC, for this. You could say shit, man. It's all good, man. I mean, see, don't my aunt. You you ruined me with my family because you're <laughs> such a good dude. Bro, my mom said, my mom said, uh, um, my, my niece was large and said, Uncle said bad word. I, said, <laughs> I got the text. on you, so I'm bad. So I'm guessing everyone's like, look at what hanging around with Cilio. That guy, he's exactly what they say on the internet. Well, well, you were talking about hanging out, man. I, Philly 500, man. How was he on the show, oh, bro? Oh, dude, he was really good yesterday, man. We had a boatload of his boys on. You know, I, Barrett, the one thing I'm catching about the Philadelphia sports fans is that they just love this team. And you know what? They I love this team. There's a portion that loves the team with blinders on. Yes. Yes. No matter what it is. No matter I, – I had a guy, Xander and I were talking prior to going on the air. Guy goes, yeah, man, we went to a Super Bowl. We had four NFC, you know, championship game appearances, and I went like this. Hey, congratulations for uh, finishing second place. You got a nice bunch of runner-up trophies. And the guy's <laughs> like, what do you mean? That's good. And I'm like, okay, well, if you like – if you like runner-up trophies, man, and uh, consolation prizes, that's all good too, man. And they're, oh, well, you're just a hater. I'm not a hater, dog. I'm giving you exactly what it is, and you just hear people talking, and I don't get angry at that. I just look at it like this, dude. Hey, Captain, how you doing? I'm by hey, the Cap, way, what's up? What's up? I'm expecting a trip on that boat too, brother. Okay, I'm expecting a trip out there, and I want to go catch me some fish. Bro, we go at everything. Flounder, tuna, you name it, bro. We Tell go at Flounder. Oh. oh, no, no, no. Big Seals, you never – like, up north. I, I was told this by my cab. Up north, since it's cold water, the flounder tastes yeah. a little bit better. It says a little mushy down there, but flounder tastes like – I mean, bro, we go out there. We go out about, we go out about 7 o'clock. We get out there about 7 o'clock, and uh, we get out of reef side 11 – Catch us a couple flounders, you know, a couple doormats. We go back in, we flay it up, and we split it with everybody on the dock, man. We never, we never, we never just fish. Oh, that's my fish. I caught that fish. No, no, we don't play like that, bro. We take, we go out there, we fillet it, and we just split it up evenly with everybody on the dock, whether you caught fish or not. You know what I'm saying? Everybody eats good. And then we sit back and we go on a boat and we cook it on the oh, boat. God, that sounds so awesome, oh, man. I fresh. love that. By the way, Matt, a bona fortuna to you, my friend. All good, my friend. My Italian brother there. Hey, I like that, man. No hate, just debate. I like that. That's exactly what we do here, man. I mean, you know what's funny? I threw out the whole thing with the wide receivers yesterday, and this is what I was talking about with people talking, no, Sills, well, you know, they've had this. Yeah, I'm not debating that they've had some fine ball players. Maybe the second-best deep threat in the history of the league with Deshaun Jackson Next to Tyree Kill and Terrell Owens, no question. T.O. was a phenomenal, should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer, all of that. But really, for the record, since 2000, the wide receivers in Philadelphia have been dudes. They've not been Pro Bowl superstar NFL. They have not had a consistent ball player at that position. Saying underwhelming then. Underwhelming. Yeah, underwhelming. It's an underwhelming position, and they're not very good at drafting at it. Okay, I mean, they're going, what about Devontae? I don't know. 
Devontae's got average numbers right now. 17 games, getting 60 yards a game is not spectacular to me. It's not. It's not. I mean, especially when I said I see Jalen Waddle down in down in Miami with 104 with supposedly a less than quarterback. We're going to get into all that, but I I have to ask you because you wore the Kelly Green. Um, you know what? Some people don't think it's a big deal. I do. I like jerseys, man. I like I like the fact too, by the way, that they're going to have that midnight green too, man. I dig that. I think that's going to be going on this this year here, but let me throw it out at you. Kelly Green, Midnight Green, Blackout. What's your favorite Eagle gear? Bro, I, I, I was the last year. My rookie year was the last year they played with the Kelly Green and Gray um, uniforms. And I can remember being excited going into that next year with the new uniforms. But as you know, uh, you know, time has passed. I, I, I tend to miss those, those Kelly Green and Gray uniforms now. So I'm going to say, yeah, that. But I mean, come on, man! The blackout with the black helmet, also, uh, dude. That thing, the black helmet. Dope. Come on, man! Man, I love that black helmet. The Kings right. have a black helmet too, man. I mean, I love that it's, helmet. But exactly. Barrett, you have worn the greatest uniform in the history of pro football, and they never change it. They never will. They ain't got stupid off this and that. That Steeler uniform, man, and with the fact with the one-sided logo on the helmet, just one side, deal, <laughs> man. You ain't. You think the Roonies would ever touch that uniform? No. What well, I mean, they do do a, like a little. Throwback. Oh yeah, they do the like the fifties and forties. But it, it looks like a prison uniform. <laughs> it does, man. Either that it's or the they're selling hot dogs, Kobayashi right. hot dogs over there in Long Island <laughs> and over there, right? I'm like. I don't know, Coney Island, man. They, those things do not look – they look like a big old mustard. Yeah. Hot dog. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to tell you this, man. Um, Oregon started all this, man. Yeah. In Oregon with, yeah. with Bill Knight, you know, his son going there. And his son's, you know, and, you know, his son passed away. So, I mean, he really puts a lot into that organization. And because of that, he had all these new uniforms they rolled out, man. And, and he fig they figured it out. Those uniforms – are the number one reason why kids want to go to Oregon. Not necessarily the way Oregon plays, but they want to wear the new uniform. These new wave kids, they like changing up these uniforms. And they'll go to extremes trying to stick out so these kids will come, you know, wear these uniforms. The big recruiting thing now is these kids, like, you know, there's one kid I'm watching. He's from St. Louis. And he goes, he's been to like seven. Um, official and unofficial visits, and he's put on the uniform of the team that he's out there. He did Alabama. He did um, Miami. He did all these different uniforms, and they take pictures of him being there, just like with the coach that, you know, from LSU that took a picture and, you know, going around in the circle, you know, they, they show all that. And then he ended up Kelly, going, I saw that. Yeah, and then he ended up going to get, ended up going to Alabama. Well, that's like the biggest thing. Now, this kid went to Mizzou. He went every. He's going everywhere, taking all these trips. And he's putting on the uniform, and that's what's selling these kids, these uniforms. Not necessarily to play on the field, but the uniforms. It's crazy, man. It's crazy. That Brian Kelly is such a piece of he, – he, 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 Hey, how you doing, everybody? I'm down here. <laughs> You're from New Hampshire. Where, where, where did you get that Cajun accent from? You were in South Bend. For a decade. Hey, everybody. How you doing? This is Mark. <laughs> here. 
That, you know, they, like, don't so patronize me, bro. Dead, don't patronize me, man. Come, come on, man. That was, that was so fake, man. But I mean, I can see, I can see if he was from down there, for, you know, to begin with. Like Elgeron is from Louisiana, right? Right. Even me, you know, I go back home. If I'm back home for over five hours, I start saying her there, you know. So I pick up the little St. Louis accent that I had growing up. I grew up in it, and I've learned, you know, since I've been, you know, living in the East Coast, that. I started speaking more. I'm not going to necessarily say proper English, but um, I don't say her there everywhere. I mean, I, I don't put the er on it everything anymore. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's different from when I was growing up. So I could see if I if he was he's from down there. But you say he's from New Hampshire. He's from New Hampshire. Get that guy out of here, oh, man. How you doing, everybody? <laughs> I was like, bro. He wasn't even there for a cup of coffee yet before he started that, man. He hadn't been there two minutes. He's like, hey, I want to thank everybody for coming down here. I was like, what the hell is this tool doing, man? That's exactly what he was Three hours. Right, exactly. Three hours, and all of a sudden, he's got a knock cage on that client. See, when I get back home, man, my, my, my wife's like, okay, so you're saying curb again and all this other stuff, and so I start getting into that New England accent, man, because when I, I had it bad when I was really young. See, man. yeah, you know, you, and it just I pops had it back. Bad. That, it pops back that fast. You oh, know, it but, does. When you're hanging around them, folks. See, when I start hanging around my wife, my wife goes, yeah, I'm fixing. I'm fixing. <laughs> fixing. Yep, you say fixing too, yep. Fixing. I'm like, what the hell's fixing? And she's like, <laughs> Uh, y'all yonder folks on a hill i'm like folks on a hill <laughs> what the hell is folks on a hill man well, i mean it's just like you know i, I mean in, in philly the john or brawl street you know See, i get more that, ice i more understand ice. hey right. hey i get that i understand that man see that's the kind of shit i was raised on man I, right that's how it, people then my, my, my wife's like man you 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 can't talk in the South like that. So, oh, you must be from up there in New England, one of them Yankee guys. I'm like, dude, I don't know what Yankee is. I don't know what that means, actually. Yeah, yeah, I'm a Yankee fan. No, no, no. You're one of them Yankee guys, ain't you, anyway? So, I mean, it is. I mean, it, 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 big sales. I tell, I tell people that that one section, that, that up north, east coast, it's almost the same type of genre, but it's, it's, it's a different way. Like 80% of the United States speaks country. Yes. And then that section right there had their own little thing. And they're just there, just there. Philadelphia, the, the Pennsylvania, uh, Connecticut, New York, that area right there, they speak a totally different language than anybody else in the country. 80% of I want a glass of water. Water. <laughs> water. <laughs> I want a glass of water, man. Give me a glass of water. What the hell do you think we're doing here? Eh? All right. I got something else for you here, Barrett. Jesus criminy, man. I heard Nick Sirianni at the owner's meeting yesterday, and I got to tell you, dog. <laughs> and, hey, and I've learned such a lesson. And guess who opened up my eyes to it? Okay. Who's Our this? boy Xander. You know, he does say a few things at times that make sense and are smart. Right. Okay. Right. He does. And he came up with this one, and this was big. I'm going to get to it here in a second. But I heard Sirianni say this. So Sirianni goes like this, how he runs the team. I posted it on my Twitter page. And it, it was 
yeah, well, everyone knows how he runs the team. And I'm going, bro, <laughs> you don't say that. You're yes. supposed to run the team. <laughs> Not Howie. Everyone knows how he puts the – what's this? He says it. I posted it. He says it right in the first sentence of a soundbite that the Eagles posted. Sirianni saying this. Hey, everyone knows I work for Howie. Howie runs the team. He constructs the team. You know, we have dialogue. So Howie uses him as information to build the team. Dude. <laughs> so everyone in that locker room, everyone in that locker room, okay? Everyone knows now that Nick Sirianni has the same latitude of strength in that locker room as Mike McCarthy does in Dallas. It undermines your credibility in the locker room. The owner says this too. Hey, Sirianni, man, he's a really good connecting guy. You have to be when you have to kiss your boss's ass. Right. Okay? You have to get along with everybody. This guy picks the coaches. He picks the players. Howie is in complete control of what the Eagles will look like. Sirianni is just an employee to him. Well, That's since, not a look that I think is conducive to being a leader in the lo locker room. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the stream, and, and they have it right there, you know. Um, when you have an organization built like that as far as a football team, it really does gives you – it gives you – just one nut instead of two nuts when you go for players. The players actually don't respect you, and they'll go straight. Same thing in Dallas, You just like you said. I'm not going to the head coach. I'm going directly up to the Howie. The, uh, to Howie. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's the level before, you know, Jeffrey Lurie. But, you know, that's just like nobody respect. And on Dallas's team, they go straight to Jerry. If you got a problem, you go straight to Jerry. You don't go, you don't go to the coach. Coach, man, I got a problem with my playing time. No, I said, Jerry, I got a problem with my playing time. Or, or, or hey, uh, at this point, hey, Howie, I don't like the way Coach yelling at me. It really doesn't give you the balls to go out there and tell guys what to do because they know who's running things. You just don't do that. I mean, how do you how do you go in, go in front of these men and say, look, let's go rah-rah and everything else when you don't dictate what, you know, what my contract is or anything else or, or whether you want or me my playing time. Right. I don't know me. I, I, I really don't. That's why J.J. Ortega-Whiteside is still on this team. That's why Jalen Rager will still be on this team. That's why, if you look at Derek Barnett is on this team, Fletcher Cox is on this team. And I and don't get me wrong, I think they're good deals, them bringing back uh, those two players, you know, Cox and, 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 and Barnett. But you could have gotten something else. You know, you could have went out and signed, you know, Akeem, his name, Aikman, uh, whatever his name is, from, from, from the Chicago Bears. He gave you more productivity at this point than I think Fletch could have. Or, I mean, find another rush in. We know what Derek Barnett is. Akeem Hicks. Akeem Hicks, yeah, Akeem Hicks. You could have got more production I mean, out of him. Again, and, and, and Xander, I posted it on my Twitter page, at Dan Silio Show. Because it's public on their Twitter, I think we can use it. 
I wish we could just play a little bit of what Nick Sirianni said because, in my opinion, dude, when you hear a guy saying, I work for Howie, and Howie's the boss, Howie constructs the team, his input is just that. A head coach, in my opinion, Kevin Colbert told me this a long time ago. My guy. Kevin Colbert. Here, here, here's Sirianni here. Listen to this. Again, Howie and I talk about talk about everything, and every and every decision we make is, you know, we talk we talk through it. Obviously, Howie is in charge of the team and, and putting the team together, um, you know. But he's using all the resources that he has um, to help do that, and so we talk about everything. And of course. I thought, you know, I want Zach Pascal on this football team. Um, I don't think that's a secret here, right? And so, but my job is to explain how we would use Zach Pascal. My job is to explain the what, what I see in the player and, again, how the use of it and uh, or if it's on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's to explain, like, as ask an offensive for coach. I fear yeah. this guy, right? Or I don't fear this guy. That's kind of how we, we go about that right now. Bro, you got to ask the general manager if I can have this guy on my team instead of instead of just doing, go get me that guy. I need this dude here. I need that guy there. That's not a head coach. Did BC, BC never asked anybody, hey, go get me this guy. I need this guy in my locker room. Coward was like, I need this guy. Get him here. And 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 and, and Kevin would go get him. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. Kevin, Kevin would go. Kevin told me, I'm here for Tomlin. I am a, I, I, I'm an asset. Forget this. In Pittsburgh, it's this way. I'm an asset for Mike Tomlin. Yes, I'm the general manager. And yes, I talk to the Roonies. But I'm here to give Mike every opportunity. That's why Kevin Colbert had a rule his entire tenor as the general manager of the Steelers. You know what that was? He will never do an interview during the season because he's always afraid to undermine Mike Tomlin and anything Tomlin says or wants or does, he never wants to undermine him because that was a rule. Kevin Colbert, you'll never see him in an interview during the regular season. Just doesn't work that way. Howie. Hey, Howie, you think I can have my guy, Zach Pascal? Here's why I want him. I really like the kid. The kid could maybe be somebody. And you're like, he's got to make a case to get people on the team? Dan, it just doesn't work, man. Like, I mean, for instance, I mean, perfect example. I was in Detroit. Kevin Colbert brought me to Detroit. Once I left Detroit, went on with the rest of my um, career, Kevin Colbert ends up signing with, um, with the Steelers. Two years later, I signed with the Steelers. On the you know initial you know visit that I had with the Steelers, Kevin said, "Look, you're my guy. You're one of my guys. You were in Detroit. I took you from the Pittsburgh. I mean, I took you from the Eagles and brought you to uh to Detroit. You played your butt off for me. Now I got you here. Don't embarrass me, Brooksy. Don't embarrass me. And from that point on, I took it as all right. He stuck his neck out for me absolutely to get me there. So from that point on." I didn't worry about anything. I knew I was not going to, you know, jeopardize my relationship with Kevin. Col- I could call Kevin Colbert right now and say, Kevin, I'm ready to play, man. I'm ready to play. All right, I'll, I'll see what I can do. 
He would, get, he would get you a tryout. And I'll be 50. Yeah, I know. But he, that's just who Kevin Colbert loyal. is. He takes me at his word, and he understands that I will not embarrass him. But he also has a relationship with his coach. Like, he went to BC. be like, BC, you know, this is my guy. So when, when I did go in and meet uh, Coward, he's like, well, I heard you're Kevin's guy, man. You look pretty good in your workout. You know, we're going to go ahead and sign you. It wasn't like I was signed because of Kevin Colbert saying I come in. It went through Coward before he said, gave me the okay. Hey, I liked your workout. I like your tape. You're Kevin's guy. We're going to roll with you. We're going to sign you. I'm like, cool. And from that point on, each year I signed four one-year contracts for my last four seasons with the Steelers. And every single time I'm going into the I'm going into um I'm going into the offseason, Kevin Coleman said, Hey, we're gonna bring you back. He'd say that. I wouldn't have to make no phone calls or anything. He was a man of his word. Bam, they were gonna sign me back on a contract. Um, soon as you know, as soon as they were able to do it. But they were all working in sequence, Tomlin and him. Yep. It wasn't like Mike, if Mike had said, Listen, I don't like the guy, and, and Kevin's not gonna undermine his head coach. No, too. they were all working, and Kevin exactly. probably went like this, selling it to Kevin, selling it to Tomlin, going, I got this guy, I know this guy, he's my guy. And he sold it to Tomlin. Tomlin went, I trust you. Because the Steeler organization trusts one another, and Tomlin is sold because of because of Colbert. On the other hand, in Philly, the head coach has to sell it to the general manager to bring somebody in. That's not how it works in great places, Barry. No, you know no. that it works exactly. where the head coach gets to pick and go. What, what did Parcells always say in New York? Hey, man. Don't hold my hands behind my back here when I go shopping and I want to get the groceries that I want to get. You're picking the groceries for me and putting them in my bag? Man, not not me. George Young and him used to butt heads all the time up in New York, and that was a big issue for him. On the, you hear Parcel guys, Pepper Johnson, all them dudes that played with him. He He had a say. This is why Doug Peterson is no longer the head football coach in is right know. here because Doug wants things his way, okay? He sees things his way. He sees things through the lens of Andy Reid, okay? He sees that. The general manager doesn't like that because – and I'm going to get to a point here that Xander said. I said Xander made a point yesterday. Watch this here, man. Well, hold on. Before you do that, though, hold on, before you do that that point, come here, because that, that's that's – that's huge right there, what you're about to say. But, you know, just like the stream says, you know, Sirianni's just, you know, what's his name, uh, Bobby Murphy? Sirianni's just happy he got the opportunity to be a head coach, become a head coach. He's absolutely right. But when you look at it. But I don't begrudge him for taking the gig either, though. You know, Barrett, I mean. Right. You offer me the job and I'm a wide receiver slash OC in Indy. I'm not going to go, hey, look, screw it. I don't want the job because I have to answer to Howie. I'm taking it. Right. So now, yeah, you can go ahead. Now, now you can go on. I mean, I just want to make sure you know he's happy to have the job. He is happy to have the job, but you got a lesser guy in the room with power, and that's by design. The Eagles have designed that. Okay, the CFO shouldn't hire talent. Absolutely not. Should be hiring talent. Okay, the head coach and the director of player personnel should all be in line here. And the general manager of your football team, who's a capologist, not a talent evaluator, 
if you want to even go further there, dude, Howie's the boss of the team. It's the first time I've heard somebody outside of Dallas say that publicly, that the general manager holds more power Damn. in the building than the head coach himself on the sidelines that coaches and has the players that are going to play on Sunday. That shows me right there. That whole game two years ago against Washington, there is no doubt Doug Peterson was told to play this guy, that guy, sit this guy, sit that guy. The Eagles tanked that freaking game because the general manager had a different way of looking at things. How embarrassing for the players to know your head coach has no cannolis. Bro, that's that's it in a nutshell. As you, you're a player and you got a problem with something, are you going to the, 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 the second in command or are you going to the head man with your problem? You know, hey, how do you react as a player? Problem with playing time. I don't go to Sirianni. I go to Roseman. <laughs> really? <laughs> hey, hey, Sills, why don't you come in here, man? We'll talk about it. Why would I talk to you about it? You have no say on the team. Howie <laughs> Roseman's the boss. You said it. Came out of your mouth. I saw it. I saw it. I was like, I, I, I heard that comment. I was like, Man, even if it's true, shh, don't say that. You don't say it. That's it. You don't. You have enough coof not to say it. And like I said, I, I, me and Howard, we get along well. I see how we speak, we talk. But he's a he's learning to right really look at talent. He's learning it. He's learning it. But you have people in your in your in your organization that should be in charge of that. You know, so you have people in your organization that should, you know, the the the, the scouting and, and 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 pro personnel and all that security. They, you know, they should be really in the, you know, in the fold, you know, really making decisions as far as who they need to bring in and direct contact with the coach. But um, how does that go? I mean, is, is is the player personnel guy and and Andy Waddle and Nick Sirianni right here, and then you have Howie Roseman. No, I think it goes Roseman. Director of personnel and then Sirianni. Wow. That's damning right there. Because he's Andy Waddle's good. You heard him say he had to sell Zach Pascal to him. I he said it himself at an NFL owners meeting, not understanding how to put the tea leaves together. Dude, what's wrong with your Philly uh media too, man? Holy cow, that would have been the story. Okay, so how he's the boss? Sirianni's not the boss. Oh, okay. And by the way. Your director of personnel is second in line. The coach is third. I would have went like this. Holy shit. Wait a minute. So the coach is a puppet. Dan, 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 Dan. You, you, you're reacting. Public. But you reacted to something that we have already known. Yeah, but you know what? I never heard a head coach say that in owner's meeting. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you you, you see when you, when you said that, I didn't react all like, what are you? Are, we've already known this. This is public knowledge. Fair, fair enough. That's right. I'm learning on the fly knowledge. here. Yeah. To me, <laughs> hey, you're right. You're right, Barrett. I'm learning this on the fly because you know why? That's uncool. Yeah. It's not right. It's not right. It's not good that you – you. Um, How about the I, head coach saying it out loud, though? At the end of the day, I think they're scared to death of going to a situation like they had 
with um, you know, with 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 Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly really soured their soured their taste, especially Howie Roseman, because once Chip Kelly took control of that team and put Howie in the corner in the other side of the building and put him in charge of, of socks and jocks and stuff like that. He vowed from that point on, if he ever get in a position again, it would not happen to him like that again. So That's so weak that your fear is, <laughs> hey, I don't want someone to shit on my parade again, and I'm not going to hire Jimmy J- or, or Tony Dungy or any of the other guys. By the way, something else was said. So the owner was asked the question about Deshaun Watson. And he was asked whether or not, you know, the Eagles were in this and this. And I'm paraphrasing this thing here. Instead of just giving an answer, no, you know what? The, um, you know, the cases and then the money, we didn't want to commit to it. He, he went into some stupid diatribe about how, you know, well, you know, I don't talk about other, you know, other players on other teams. And they were trading him. All you had to say was this. Hey, you know what? It was too rich for us. I didn't like the fact that the guy had some character issues. Why don't you just be transparent and say, I'm not bringing a guy like that to Philly. Everybody would actually commend you. Half the room would commend you. And nobody would say anything negative about the fact that you had a problem. Okay? And right. Xander's right. He talked about Russell Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> about how they were interested in him, but then when it came to Deshaun, oh, you know, we're not. We're, and I'm like, bro, why don't you just say the 230 million dollars kind of frightened the Eagles more so than the 22 cases against the guy? Holy cow, a lot of bullshitting going on down in Miami between the Eagles and the meat. I tell you, man. Hey, Big Sills is going to say this to you. A little fired up because, man, what do now- they report in Philly? Well, we already knew that. We'll put it like that. But Forte, he has a little, he has a little somewhere here. Perhaps Sirianni feels he would be overwhelmed with more responsibility and would rather focus on improving the player's scheme, play design, and execution. Uh, you, you're not gonna let that pass either. No, That's, no, but I'm just gonna say this. Who wrote that for him? <laughs> no, I'm just asking what Forte said. Maybe perhaps that's what it is. Okay. Well, with me, I I, I'm gonna look. I'm not gonna see because I'm used to this, and I already knew who had the power in the organization. And I just I, never understand? heard a head coach say it like that. Well, I mean, that's exactly why I heard a head coach say that's why he's leaving, and that's why Doug left. But this is what I will say: from this point on, if the shit hits the fan, we know who to blame. Oh, yes, sir. He can't sidestep it now. Yes, sir. He cannot sidestep it now. He cannot say, oh, oh, no, 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 no. That wasn't me. That was the coach. He put him on. No, from this point on, I know exactly where to lay blame. So that's a lot of responsibility put on one person in the organization. Will he be able to feel that? I don't want to see any um, misdirection, you know, saying handshake here and I'm doing something. No, it's, 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 it's right there. He said it. Um, you know, Nick said it, Howie endorsed it. The owner even endorsed it. The owners was like, no, you know, I mean, because they were, he was asked, does he, you know, has he been more influential on decision-making on the team more than he should? And he was like, no, that's not the case. But 
this only proves to me that this point going forward is all going to be on Howie Roseman. He's going to have to take the good with the bad. If he's if he sucks, he sucks. If he's great, hey, put him up here. But the same thing make you laugh, make you cry, because if this team doesn't go forward in the right direction and they start losing all those f- fingers and all this, you know, them data boys that he's getting right now, he's going to get the same fury from these, this, this Philadelphia fan base that, you know, that, that, you know, they know they can be about because, hey, this fan base is about it. You know, if they don't like something, they're going to let you know. And if they're going in the wrong direction, best believe they will be hunting him down like a, like he's a, you know, a, 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 an animal. They're going to make sure that they're going to point the finger at him. And he can't point anywhere but at himself if this all falls through. But if it gets better, he can all take them data boys too now. Oh, no, listen. I'll be the first to go like this. Okay, well, it's working. Okay. I I will. I'm wrong. But to me, when I hear a head coach, and see, it's the inexperience of Sirianni being at the mic. You're never going to hear anybody in those big-time coaching places talking about someone else having more autonomy in their their locker room. Barrett, it would be like me telling your wife and kids what to do in your house. Okay? I mean – you know how an NFL locker room is. One little bit, one thing we read. How about this? I'll tell somebody before we go to break here. You know the biggest deterrent in the locker room is, and they post it on re- for a reason, is the depth chart. They got a depth chart in there. And when you see your name four, shit. When you see your name two, shit. You see, they use that. For the hierarchy, yeah. and we use that to see what the coaches. Here's another one. We'll be in a team meeting. All of a sudden, Barrett will hear this. Hey, you know, um, you know, hey Trey Thomas, uh, Trey Lane, Barrett. Barrett hears his name third. Oh, I'm on their mind third. Okay, yep. that's a good thing. I'm the third guy in their mind when it's talking about the old line. When you hear Bob Lane Smith. Bob, Barrett, you're like, holy shit, man. I'm moving down the totem pole here. I got to play harder. Those little tiny things that are in the locker room that are said, okay, players they pick all up mean on that. Something. And they when you hear a coach go, hey, he's the coach. He's the guy. He builds the team. I have to sell him on players. We read that. It's, Am it's, I wrong? It's damning, man, because – you hear everything, you pick up on everything, and the player that heard that right there, there's no way that this player can look at a, you know, that he can say, yeah, that's my guy. You know, I love playing for coach and yada, 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 yada. But when it comes down to it, man, I got to go talk to Howard, man, because I want right. to come back here next year. Or am I getting my contract done? Or does this team like me or not? You know, Right. You see me third on the depth chart. I'm going like this. Shit. That means am I, am I third or sixth? Because they're only keeping five of these dudes. Yep. Okay. Was when you see when you're on third team, and you're looking up there, you're like, "Hey, man, they're only going to keep. How, are they going to keep seven D linemen, or are they going to keep five or six O linemen? How are they going to do this, man? Because you're playing the numbers game, and when you see the depth chart, the depth chart tells the guys in the locker room where they are in the totem pole. Just imagine when you hear somebody saying something public. Hey, I don't really have the say on the team. The guy upstairs does. Well, it's, it's that's we'll where see. I'm coming from, Barrett. 
We'll see. We'll see on draft day. You know what I'm saying? Because this is going to be Howie's draft. There's no question this is Howie's draft. So we'll see at this point what direction this team goes. And if they have a good draft, you must believe he's going to, you know, pat himself on the back. They have a bad draft. That's a lot of accountability right now because that yeah, can but mess he gets up three years to determine whether or not it's good or bad. He gets a pass for a bit. I've got to bring something up with you after the time out of here. Um, and Xander brought this up. I want to show you something why they're not playing in free agent here. He's Barrett Brooks. I'm Dan Cilio back in three. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Barrett Brooks, Dan Cilio, the middle. Appreciate you guys stepping in with us here please do me a favor and hit the like button um malcolm jenkins retires hall of famer only two pro bowls by the way i think if i'm not mistaken thousand tackles two-time super bowl champion is he a that's tough he's probably okay three pro bowls all with the eagles yep um, won a Super Bowl with the Saints and won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. 
he'll probably be an Eagle Hall of Famer. Six years, I believe, he played in Philadelphia. Maybe he won't be. Maybe that's not enough time to get into the um, Eagle Hall of Fame. But give me your assessment of him as a player. I'm saying no as a Hall of Famer. Um, and that's only because because when I look at him, I'm more biased because, number one, his time with the Eagles it was more than just what he did on the field. It was the impact he had in that locker room, the impact he had during the trying times with, you know, Colin Kaepernick and all the social injustice that was going on. He was more influential in that aspect than he was on the field, even though he was a good player on the field. He was an architect um, on, on, you know, when he was, you know, maneuvering guys in that secondary, putting them in the right places, making sure they're playing up to expectations, being a vocal leader. But that doesn't always equate into how great a player is as far as when we're talking about going to uh, the Hall of Fame. You know what I'm Dude, saying? He put a lot of good years, like a hundred, like 90 tackle years and. You know, not enough Pro Bowls. He's not a he's not a pro football Hall of Famer. Um he's not, but he was in the world of really close and really good. Yes. Okay. He was a good ball player. Yes, he I was. I don't even think he's an eagle. I don't think he's an eagle. I mean, when I think of the greatest secondary guys, do I think of him? With oh, Eric watch Allen. This. Watch this. Almost. Eric Allen like that, Dawkins and them dudes and Right, right. I just I don't know if I see I don't even know if I see him in the same Andre Waters kind of deal. Right, you know? right, I right. Mean, and that's what I I'm just, saying. I just it, don't see that, you know. His impact wasn't necessarily, like I said, his on-field production. I think his off the field things that he did, you know, as far as in the in the um in 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 the you know, Philadelphia itself, you know, the programs that he put together, all those type of things made him look great in our eyes as Eagles fans. I mean, in fact, you know, Xander, come on off for a second. He was a better saint. Come on off for a second. Now, Xander, when you look at when you looked at him, when you saw him play, did you see him as necessarily a Pro Bowl S type of player on the field, or was it everything that he was doing as far as the Colin Kaepernick, social injustice? all the programs that he ran and everything else. Malcolm was a leader for the Eagles. So I think he crossed those boxes, but I think it was McMullen this morning. Has a safety ever made the hall of fame? Yeah. Safety. Kenny, Steve Easley. Atwater. Kenny Easley. Kenny I forget Easley what the, the stat was. That McMullen, McMullen laid out a stat this morning that as great as Malcolm was, and even with a Super Bowl at both locations, I think he was seven years in New Orleans, six years in Philadelphia. I don't know if he's a Pro Bowl player. I think, I think Barrett, you make a point with the um, the bias, the the eagle color glasses, where like, yes, yes, you know, yes. I don't know about the fishbowl voters. Still, think about some of the Hall of Fame voters you bring on the show, like Howard Balls or some of those guys. I don't. They're gonna look no. at them. They're gonna look at it and say, no, he's not. A Hall of Fame guy, but he's an awesome player. Well, when you look at he's um, when you look at Steve Atwater, no way. impact player, Troy no Polamalu, no way. Um, you look at Ed Reed, no way. So I mean, that's like that's how you have to look at how you see um his play on the field. Was he that dominant? You know, did he change a lot? No way. Exactly. No. So way. those are Hall of Famers right there with gold jackets on. No way. 
not in that conversation with <laughs> Reed and Lot. Just not happening. However, Reed, Lot, Palomalu, Atwater, all these guys have gold jackets on because they changed how you played on the offensive side of the ball with their presence. But he was a spectacular factor in a huddle. You yes. know what I mean, Barrett? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's a guy, like, if you want to have 12 dudes, 11 dudes to go to battle with, man, you want to line up with somebody and you want to go after somebody, Huss, he's a guy you want on your football team. No question. But I want him in the foxhole with me. Yeah, I mean, I, I like this. I, I want him in that foxhole with me because he's yep. one of them dudes that's going to get your rear and he's going to be there for you, man. He's got He's got you. However, Ed Reed, Ronnie Lott, Kenny Easley – like you said, them dudes, man, Paula, Troy, you're, you're, he's not in that conversation. He's just no, not no. in that conversation. He's when not. you say those names, when you say those names and think about his play, you don't see it. But like I said, as far as him being an impact player, yes, he definitely was that on the field and off the field. I 21 think interceptions I think I saw over 13 years. I don't know. It's not spectacular. But then I look at the 1,000 tackles. That right. is – Okay, right. I mean, he was – I'll tell you what, man. I think of him – I mean, Rondé Barber comes to mind. Rondé has a great uh, stat. He's got like 30 sacks, 30 INTs. Yep. And he's going into the Hall of Fame. Okay. Malcolm, I, he, 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 he's going to go into the Saints, probably Ring of Honor. Well, I don't know if he goes into the Eagles Ring of Honor. He didn't. He didn't become that type of player until he got to the Eagles. Because remember, he played his first two or three seasons. His first two or three seasons, he was a corner. He played okay. quarterback. He got drafted as a cornerback, and he made that progression as he got bigger and got his grown man body on. Then he became a safety. It wasn't. He didn't make that smooth transition into being a really good safety till he got to the Eagles. And once he got to the Eagles, then he transformed into the guy we see now. But, I mean, you take away some of the stuff he did off the field. If you take away social injustice, those things, the, all the um, stuff he did for his foundation, you know, if you take those things away and just look at the player himself, he was a good player. But look at this, this list there. Steve Atwater, never. Brian Dawkins, no way. Uh, Bobby Dillon, no way. Kenny Easley, Cliff Harris played on them Steelers or the Cowboy teams. Paul Krause, all-time interception guy. Troy Palomalu, Ed Reed, Johnny Robinson, Donnie Shell may be the greatest of them all. Played on that Steeler team that won four and six. Yep. Emlyn Tunnell, Willie Wood. Um, those are just spectacular safeties, man. And he's not in that room. He's just not in that room. And by the way, no disrespect, he's not close to being in that room. Right. <laughs> I mean, those guys yeah. are those guys are separating. What that position, it, it, you know what's funny? It's harder because that's not a real lengthy list yes. of safeties that have made it um, into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That position, safety and center, there's not a lot of centers nope. that are in the Pro Football Hall of Fame too. So for whatever reason, Barrett, that position has always been looked down on a little bit. I don't know, down on or maybe just overlooked because there's not a lot of names on that list that were safety guys. Well, those are those are guys that usually either they give help or they need help at the position. You know, when somebody says Ronnie Lott, Ronnie started out as a corner. Yep. Meta, and so they probably are have him in Ron the hall as too. a corner because when he first came out of Southern Cal, 
he was a corner for a bunch of years. Yep. And then they transitioned him into being a safety. Same thing, Bobby, yep. with Rod Woodson. Yep. Woodson was a corner forever. And then they transitioned him into safety. So both of those guys. And by the way, Rod Woodson could be the fastest and maybe most athletic corner next to Dion of yep. all time. <laughs> because, dude, that guy, wasn't he an Olympic high hurdler at Purdue yep. or something like that? Yep, yep, yep. I remember he used to do those races and him and – him and uh, Green would, would race all the time. It was like tit for tat, man. Green, when he retired, man, he he ran a four three when he retired. Dude, Dion probably man. did that too, though. Man, Dion never ran as fast as he could run. No, I tell it. you all the time, he never ran as fast as he could run. I said, I said, man, how fast are you really? You know, can Dude. you run a four one? He yeah. said, man, I run as fast as I need to run to get that money. Hey, dude. <laughs> Dion running a 4-1, you can believe it. I'm telling you. I believe it, too. I've never seen – there's two athletes that I've never seen that could run as fast as these two dudes, man. And it was definitely Bo Jackson and him. Bo Bo legendarily ran, like, on a pro day, 3-9. 250 (laughs) pounds. (laughs) Dude, 3-9 at 250, 6-3. Right. Well, and and, and that's not even – that's not even – a lie. That's not even that. That's it's not even not the old folks were there. They saw it. And yeah. if the scouts were there, they saw. Then Dion, Dion wasn't going to run on his pro day, so he shows up and he has like he just shows up in sweats. He doesn't even have track nothing. He just takes his sweats off. No, I think he ran in his sweats. <laughs> he ran a four one or a four flat in sweats. <laughs> All the pros were watching this guy just ran a four flat in sweats with a gold chain on. And then, and then and then left. And then, then left. left. That's that's <laughs> that's the legendary story, man. Then le- had sweats on. Anyway, man. All right, Barrett. You know what? I've been that's, I think I'm wrong point. here on something with your boy Howie. Well, hold on. I, I saw something. Let me let me look it up. I saw something in the in the um this is uh Shizzle Flex. You gotta look at Larry. As if he's from Lori's point of view, Chip destroyed the team. Howie rebuilt it in two years and raised the trophy up. I have the ultimate trust in him too. I, you know, hey, I understand that. I understand that. You know, so you, know, you undermine your coach by giving know, the power to your GM. But listen, to what he's saying. Listen, listen, to what he's saying, Dan. He took the power back from Chip. Fired Chip. Took the power back. Gave it back to, to 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 Howie Roseman. Let Howie Roseman go pick a coach. He picks the coach, and then two years later, he's hoisting up the NFL. I mean, uh, the the Eagles first in the Super Bowl era Super Bowl trophy. That's Not Super that Bowl, As man. from Lori's point of view, that kid can do no wrong. That's Howie Super Roseman Bowl. can do no wrong. It's fool's gold. It's fool's gold. I'm gonna show you here. Watch this. I you know. Tyree Kill and Allen Robinson and all these guys, they were never in a billion years ever going to do anything. There is $35 million in dead cap money on the Philadelphia Eagles, and that's with even not having Carson Wentz on the books any longer. It's now on Indy's books. Barrett, last year, you're telling me they were $70 million under the cap with a $38 million hit, $37 million hit, plus the dead money they had. They had nearly $50 million in dead money, 
You know why you're seeing the Kaiser Whites, the Zach Pascals, and all of these? Watch this. Signs that are helping the team. They are. They're decent players. They're not horrible. They're, ele- they're going to elevate the roster. They're safe, though. Until that cat. This guy's coming from a cap room space of $168 million instead of the 208 because of the of the $35 million cap hit that they have in dead money. They are waiting until next year before they go out and do anything in free agency because they still have nearly $40 million in dead cap money. And I'm going to say this to you. If they truly believed in Jalen Hurts, they went out for Carson Wentz and got Alshon Jeffries, did they not? Yes, they did. Okay. Well, where's the Alshon Jeffries for Jalen Hurts? You're spending $5 million in total on your quarterback, three wideouts, and your tight end. This guy has got all that money. Excuse me. This guy has put a roster together. He's put it together economically. Okay? And you know what really saves him too? Look at the Cowboys. They've come back. Why should I overinvest right now? Look at the NFC. They've all come back to the Eagles. The Eagles are going to have another good year because of just the rest of the division and the conference coming back to them. He's in a catbird seat because we keep saying this. Tua's on a rookie contract too. Well, shit, they're spending money. They got the old lineman from New Orleans. They got Tyree Kill. They did all of this, and they're utilizing the rookie contract in Miami. I don't know if two is good. I'm with you. I I don't know. But in in Philly, that $35 million nut that they have in dead money, he sees that because you know why? They're his mistakes with those shitty free agent contracts that he signed, those Maxwells and all that other crap, one year, because I had a guy to a six-year contract. He played one season, $63 million. There's a ton of those. So hire, signing the Derek Barnett's back, sure, covers up his mistake, brings him back at a lesser market price, and he brings back Fletcher Cox at a less price. It, the owner does see how Howie manages the cash register. That's why this team right here, they're no better than they were a year ago, but guess what? They're better in the conference and in the division because you know why? Everyone got worse around them. Well, Derek Barnett, they brought him back at a cheaper price because uh, he's slated to make, what, 5.5 this year? Well, last year, on the last year of his deal, he made 10.5 or 10.7, something like that. So you're trying to spin it like, ah, oh, he's a deal now. Fletcher Cox, they bring him back for 14. He's supposed to be back for 18. They're spinning that in the right way. Um, then we get this dog mentality with the receiver. Underwhelming. But I'll say this. When you look at Howie and how he's he's doing things, he's doing it his way. He's definitely yeah, doing it his way. Cheap. So if this thing falls through, there's no one did you there's no other person you can blame for this than Howie because he's taking all accountability for everything. He's the head man. You know, he's the captain. Is he gonna go down with the ship? I guarantee no way, man. There's gonna be a life preserver out there that he'll find. (laughs) But 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 bear, like I said, if you're looking at it from 30,000 feet, 
And you look at, hey, draft choices, great. First-round picks, wonderful. Team made the postseason, wonderful. Quarterback, second round. I said he wasn't a second rounder. He's playing into being exactly who he is, man. He may be even a little bit better. His first rear starting, you now have to go back like this. Instead of everybody bagging on him, you traded up to get Jalen Hurts at two in the second, I mean, in the second round. I, everyone went like this. Everyone I know went, that guy ain't a second round draft choice. And he turned out to be. So he can look at you and go, well, look at what I'm doing on the perimeter. Well, dude, what about the $35 million dead cap money? What about all the draft choices that you've wasted at wide receiver? Look at the position at the skill set, guys, that you had. Alshon Jeffries was – he was mediocre. That was a mediocre sign, dude. That was not – he got his bag of money. He came to Philadelphia, and guess what? I don't know. He just was under – how about it? Am I right when I say he was underwhelming? Um, he kept the chains moving. Yeah, I mean, as far as as far as being explosive, being a guy to go out there and take command of a game, and that's what you mean. You mean you yeah, don't mean explosive like taking command of a game, a game changer. I, when was the last time we had a guy that could take control of a game? I'm gonna tell you right now. Owens. Um, yep, Owens is the last person. And if you if you do say Hurts, Hurts can change take control of a game. But he's yeah, but you got to win big games. You got to beat playoff teams. He ain't beat one yet. No. So, I mean, that's, Owens, you know, Owens was the dude. When I think of Philadelphia the last 20 years, the guy that sticks out in my mind offensively is T.O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and five. Yep, yep. T.O. Right. was five. Who was, was Chip? Not Westbrook, Chip. Was Westbrook Andy, was a – Was Andy Westbrook. responsible for, um, for uh, Donovan? Yes. Okay. Yes, that was his pick, you know, and everybody wanted Ricky Williams. <laughs> they actually booed Mac, and he took that he took that to heart, and he had a chip on his shoulder his entire career. way better career. And and I and I and I and I still think, you know, one year he had eighteen hundred yards rushing. I think it was with the Dolphins. Um, Ricky Williams had an eighteen hundred yard rushing year. Oh yeah, but McNabb had a better career. There's no question about that. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, Mac. Mac, man, he's borderline Hall of Famer, man. I think Mac just yeah, I do too. He he was just so goofy, man. That, you no, know, no, <laughs> you know he is. He if he wins the Super Bowl, Barrett, yeah. if he wins the Super Bowl, it puts him in, in my opinion. Because yep. when I think of the best quarterbacks during his era, he's one of them that come to my mind. I mean, you go to four straight AF NFC Championship games. I mean, I'm you know, yes, was he quirky? Was he weird? Yeah, all yep. that. Was he? Uh, how about this? He was a better version of Randall. Yep, yep. Because Randall hated the media. He hated the Philly media more so than ever. I'm guessing that's gotten better as of late because I hear him now looking back on his career in Philadelphia with a little bit more respect than he did when he left because when he left, he trashed the city. He hated playing. He said he hated. And – it's gotten better, I'm assuming, okay? He's a hard guy to figure out, Randall. Randall's a different dude, man. hes I know he's a preacher now, and you know we all change after we get a little bit wiser as we get older, and I think he respects and I think they retired. Didn't they not retire his number or something like that a couple years yeah. ago? Yeah. And he really, really talked about his time in Philly, and that was the first time that I had heard him say something about the Eagles and playing for them. 
um, in a great note. And so I think that that's been settled. But Donovan was weird, man. I mean, and plus the divorce was bad, wasn't it, at the end? Yeah, I mean, this, this Matt just, you know, he just went – he just went on a on, on a yeah, but Jeffrey's back. right. If he just shut his mouth in certain situations, man, it would have been so much. But you know what? Who am I to talk? <laughs> well, you know, look, the stream is saying there are some guys that could take over to like Westbrook. I, I said Westbrook, uh, Djax. We're talking about can take over a game consistently. He was the one Djax would give you one or two plays in the game, you know, he'll give you one long pass play, but you know, in crucial situations, could they go to Djax? I mean, they, you know, special teams, they could. Mike Vick, for the short time that he was able to. But, you know, it, it, it's tough to say. I'm talking about a guy. Maybe Shady. Shady probably Shady probably did it most consistently. Shady and T.O. Yep. Shady did it consistently. Shady could go out there and give you 120, 130 without even blinking. So why did Chip hate him? Because he Chip was intimidated by strong – I'm not even gonna say black player. He was he's intimidated by strong players. He's using that conversation to control. You said Mike, I, do you think he was a racist? Well, he he didn't he didn't understand the culture of black people, especially strong black people. He wasn't so he was intimidated that. by black folks. Yes. Yes. That that's me and you talking in the locker room here. Right, right, Amen right. Out. So he was yeah. intimidated. I'm in the locker room. I say, man, that dickhead. He 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 didn't like black folk, man. He 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 was one of those guys that you know. I mean, he just assumed walk on the other side of the road, then walk by me or or raise his head up to say hello to me. Put it like that. Shit on him, huh? I would have shit on him if I saw that bro, man going bro. on. No, that, that happened consistently. I mean, how was how does the lunch lady not like you? Or he would leave a note for the cleaning lady not to do this. This guy's afraid of black people. Well, I mean, of strong black players. That's what I'm going to say. You mean strong-willed? Strong-willed black players, yes. He didn't want want to be told other than him telling people what to do. Kevin, he's an idiot. You're right. He's an idiot. He didn't want to kick back. Like, he, you know... he, he, He was socially challenged. Put it like that. He was socially challenged. And we tried to tell him that. I want strong people on my team. I don't want disrespectful people on my team, but I want strong. I, because again, this is what we talked about when we opened the show, though, Barrett. This is why the head coach has to be able to have, if you want strong willed dudes in your locker room, the head coach has got to have a strong position in the room, yep. or that coach will get walked all over. If I've got strong black folks, Strong white folks, shit. Strong personalities in the locker room. That coach better have it with them too because when that player barks back at that guy, that coach needs to bark back going like this, I'm your effing coach. Shut your ass down. Yep, then it has to be that way. You, then you go talk to the kid saying, hey, look, okay, I'm with you here, man. You're here because I want you here. That's why you're here. I'm not going like this. Hey, Howie, get rid of this guy here, man. He's challenging me. I'm not doing that, bro. That's just what it is. I put it like this: me and um, I um, I, I did college football. I was a producer inside the truck, and I would talk directly to uh, Matt Millen, um, in the truck during game times. And the year that you know Chip, the year before, the year that Chip signed with the Eagles, I, I we did that entire year. We had. 
and during that time they were ranked in the country, you know. So I was on ESPN, you know, one of their second or third best um crews. So we did probably five or six Oregon games. And throughout the process of doing those games, we go up and see him. We go out and sit down, we talk to the coaches. We would talk to Chip. And Chip kept asking Millen, hey, 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 what do you think? You think my my um my system will work in the NFL? And Millen kept telling him, Well, look, you know, I mean, you know, I love the way, you know, these guys play and this speed, you know, sped up um offense and all this, you know, but you gotta understand you get older players, you know, and you don't know if you know that you know they'll be able to, you know, be consistent in in and being able to run all those plays all the time. You know, you get a old guy like Jason Peters, he's not gonna want to go down and be running down the field and having running five plays in less than 20 seconds. You know, you, you're not gonna be able to do that. He was like, oh, okay, this so what about you know how I you know deal with the players and say he said you're definitely not gonna be able to do that. I mean, you're dealing with grown men with families, you know. You can't sit here and, and yell at this kid. You can sit here and yell at this kid, and he understands you have his career in your hands. Well, if you're in the NFL. You're a grown man. You got kids at home. You got a wife at home. You just can't yell at them and say think they're gonna like it. Because nine right. times out of ten, they're making more money than you are, and you can't just tell them whatever you want to tell them. So he tried to explain that to him, but I guess he didn't get it when he went to me. Chip was a sharp dude, but he was just socially challenged on how he approached um, dealing with strong people in a locker room. He I couldn't got, do I it. Got a, I got. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm gonna get a picture when we come out of the timeout here, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to get a picture here and I'm going to post it on my, um, and Xander, I want you to go get it too, man. It's going to be over on my, on my Twitter page. Something else the owner said at the NFL owner meetings, I want to hit on it. And you tell me if it lines up with Jalen Hurts. He's Barrett Brooks. I'm Dan Cilio back in three. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view. It goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. 
Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Our number two, Barrett Brooks and Cilio here on the middle. Hey, by the way, I got D Gun coming up a little bit later on in the afternoon show. There he oh. is, Chippy Kelly. I said the <laughs> most hated on my Twitter page at Dan Cilio Show. I said the most hated coach in Eagle history. <laughs> well, he made his own bed, and he didn't mind sleeping in it. To this day, you know, he said he wouldn't have changed anything, man. And at the NFL level, you have to change. You know, same things happened to him when he was in the 49ers. Why he didn't last long there. You got to deal with grown men differently than you deal with college kids. And, you know, it's, it's a different, it's just a different mindset, a different way of thinking. You can't go to a kid and you can't go to an NFL football player and say, all right, you're going to do this just because I said that. No, that's not happening. You can ask him to do it and he'll think about doing it. And if he wants to stay on your team, he'll do it. But nine times out of ten is the reason why he's on the team. So they need him, and he'll he'll do it if he needs to do it. You just can't just – you can't deal with people the way Chip wanted to deal with these players. You just couldn't do it. But but he it's almost Urban Meyer-ish. Yes, it's exactly what it is. Because okay. when you're dealing with college students, you have their life in your hands. What you say can directly affect his money-making potential in the future. Well, he gets drafted. But, but Barrett, I think it's more into this. I think that these guys are so used to not being challenged. Yes, you can't challenge anybody. a college player. Yes. You're, you're not challenged by anybody, not even the ADs. Right. You're at like Ohio State, Florida, Oregon, there's nobody going to come into the room and tell you what to do and how you – Who's going to tell Nick Saban what to do? That's why Nick – Will never be a great NFL head coach. Right. <laughs> Nor does he want to be, though. He's making more than all the NFL coaches, period. Anyways. But agreed. But there's too many layers. Like, watch this. Nick Saban would be the worst coach in Eagle history if he were the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. You know why? Him and Howie would be butting heads. The owner would be butting heads because you know why? They see the league differently through the eyes of a coach who has his own moat and his own kingdom. When you're a college coach, dude, I got what? I got border regents. I got like donors, people I got to kiss. Other than that, I mean, Spurrier, I told you the story, used to be the funniest thing that show he used to do. He used to have this guy, Mick Hubert, who's still the voice of the Gators. He's sitting here, they're doing this Gator show, and there's Spurrier drawing circles and shit. This guy calls in, hey, coach, you know, one thing I think we really could use is a reverse halfback pass. And, you know, if we did that, we'd be able to. And here's Burrier going, well, I'll tell you what, John. You sit over there in Apaka, and you just keep fanning, and I'll keep coaching. 
But I'll do it the way I'm going to do it here. And you just keep being the fan. Next call. <laughs> That's how spurred, man. Where are you from, Apaka? Will you keep rooting us on in Apaka, and I'll keep coaching in Gangsville. That's how that guy ran that thing, man. And when he got to Washington, he had all these other dudes to deal with and all these college guys. That's why when Jimmy got to uh, Dallas, Jerry Jones wasn't doing shit and telling him what to do. Jimmy did everything the way he saw it and was not deviating off that plan. Very few owners are going to do that. But it worked, though. It, 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 it worked. did because the you owner have allowed it because they had a relationship going back to Arkansas at college. Yes. Sitting in bed, they're, they're sitting, you know, in, you know, in a, in a dorm room. These two guys. Yes. And one guy says, look, I'm going to own a team. Yep. And the other guy turns out and says, well, if you own the team, hire me as your coach. That's what, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> that's exactly that's crazy. what happened. They won that 64 national championship. Jerry Jones was actually the starting guard on that team. Yep. And those two dudes, man, he goes, hey, Jerry knew how to make money, man. And the coach used to go, where's Jerry Jones? He goes, he's out front selling tickets. And he's, <laughs> he would always be trying to make money. And believe me, man, I, Jerry used to come down to our practice. You know, he was going to buy the uh, Chargers at one time. What? Yeah, he was – the father talked to him out of buying the Chargers. He was going to buy the Chargers. It was before the Spanos family bought it. And he was going to buy the Chargers, and the dad talked him out of it. And then when the Cowboys and Bum Bright put the team up in 89, he put the team up and Jerry put all $153 million or I think, I don't think he even had 153. I think he put 10% of the team up, mortgaged everything he had, all of his oil uh, machinery. This guy didn't have a pot to piss in, dude. They had nothing. They put that thing down to bare bones. I mean, he had like a million bucks left out of all the money. He was all in. Trump goes like this, worst investment you can ever make, that Cowboy team. Bought it for 153 now it's worth $6 billion. Right, 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 right. Hey, hey, Trump, you know, you're wrong on a few things. That's another well, one. That's kind of like Mr. Lurie, man. I mean, just like, you know, Mr. Lurie, you know, he wanted to, uh, he wanted he to buy Braden, New England. Right? He wanted to buy New England. Oh, he did? The Patriots. Yeah, he wanted to buy the Patriots, but they wouldn't sell it to him. That's right, the Sullivan family. You, you know how Kraft got the team, right? No, I don't. Okay. Well, the Sullivan family owned the Kraft, owned the uh, Patriots. So, but they didn't own the stadium around it. Okay. So what he did was he went in and I think the Sullivan family, family ended up selling it to Victor Kayyem. And Victor Kayyem owned the team and he didn't own the facility around it. He bought all the land around the team. And all of a sudden, before you know it, Sullivan started running out of money. And he was charging shit. He had all that land around it. They finally sold it to him. The Sullivans wouldn't sell it to him. He bought the team eventually because Kayyem went out of, started losing money. And he bought the team from Victor Kayyem. Victor Kayyem's, I think, like from Stanford or something. That's kind of how I know the story and how he got that team. Wow. But it's, you're right. He, he, he tried to make a play for that team. I thought, too, man, that he even tried to buy. I thought maybe he was in that conversation to buy the Jets at one time, too, because he wanted an NFL team. And then he ended up getting it from Norman Brayman. I think I think he'd sold it to Brayman. Brayman sold it to him in 95. Is that right? Yep. Yep. I was, in fact, as I said, I was his first offensive lineman he ever um, he ever uh, drafted. 
I was his first one. First offensive lineman. I was the All first right. draft he had. So the owner was asked the question if he is more hands-on today, and he said in a in the presser there at the NFL owners meeting, no, 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 I have no say in what's going on with the football team. I have no say. This is, you know, I'm I'm stepping further back from it. You believe it. Do no. you believe it? I mean, let me think about it again. No. <laughs> he, 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 he was asked the question, are you more are you more engaged with the team or less? Because you said that he's less. He goes, Oh, I'm less engaged. I'm not as, you know, in on the day-to-day operations of what the Eagles are doing. That I leave that to Howie. Here we go again. So the owner is saying how he runs the team. The head coach is saying how he runs the team. So what does that mean? Then I heard this comment. Well, we want to have a prolific passing game. I was like this. You've (laughs) never had a prolific passing game. You never have had one. Never. Hey, watch this. Has did McNabb throw for 4,000 yards ever? I think he did twice. He did? I think he did twice. Let me see. Uh, let me look this up. Cause um, I, I I think he did. Cause um, he, he I think he had a couple of years like that. Let me see. I'm gonna bet you he didn't. I'll bet you anything. He's never had four thousand passing yards in Philadelphia. Let's see. Mac, Mac, let me I'll see what you, you got, my Mac. First, I'll bet you my first cranberry and vodka. See, that's I, why I don't go to Vegas. <laughs> that's why I don't go to Vegas. Uh, the most he's ever had, he had uh, 3,900. 3,916. Can you believe that? Wow. So Wentz is the first eagle to throw for 4,000 yards. Yes. With no thousand yard receivers. Yep. So where is this high prof- prolific passing game that, that the owner wants? Where's he getting that from? Jalen? Wow. And Zach Pascal? Oh, Bro, he played in he played in 12 games and had 90 uh 948 yards one year, his first year, his rookie year. Then the next year he got up there. Um he had thirty three hundred. 21 touchdowns, 3,225 touchdowns. Uh, one of his better seasons, he had 3,800 yards with 31 touchdowns. Uh, the year he threw for 39, he had 3,900 yards for 28 touchdowns. His best year was in 2004, the year they went to the Super Bowl. That year was supposed to be an all-Pennsylvania Super Bowl. I can remember we beat uh, – we had beat them this, that, that year. And then we turned around, we beat New England also. But then we went to the went to the playoff game. We moved you to the, beat him um, up there or in uh, Hines? In Hines, in Hines Field. So then we play them in the playoffs in Hines Field again. Half their team was sick. Oh, we just knew we were going to win that game. Half their team had the flu the night before. They came out and beat our tail, bro. No way. Man, they whooped us. In fact, I'm in the huddle, and as the, the play is coming in, 
and Ben is saying the play, I hear I hear um, uh, Teddy Bruschi, screen, screen right, screen right. And then he calls the play, and it's a screen, but it's a middle screen. But the mere fact that you knew it was a screen play <laughs> instead of screen right, but it was, a, it was a screen play, I'm like, yo. So then I'm like, oh, you know, damn, they did their homework. Come to find out, you know, that's all at Spygate. That's when it really started was in that game. That's when it really ben started. Ben got sacked 10 times in that game? Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, bro. Hey, that wasn't even a – wait, you didn't even have to count. You went, yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. I remember it like playing today. I mean, I, I, um, it was so bad. Jerome was like, yo, can you guys please block somebody? Somebody. I'm like, what do you mean? I mean, these guys, are they're jumping to the play. They were jumping to the play. But, hey, that, I mean, that's just – that's me being a sore loser. That's you know, good. I'm a sore loser. I'm a sore hey, loser. No, bro. no, no. Yeah. Hey, yeah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, that's way. Hey, that sounds like that's one of the games that sticks out in your mind. Uh, like over the 12 years, that game sticks out. The, don't the losses like that stick out more than the wins? I don't even remember the wins. The only one I really remember is the Super Bowl win. But I just remember after, you know, celebrating. But like, I remember the losses, you know, so vividly, man. I can just remember, I can remember Harris, um, Harrison, you know, he just, you know, yelling, barking out, barking out. D- double, double over here. Double Randall L, double Randall L. I'm like, dude, that's not even the defense y'all playing. You tell them to double Randall L? Come on, man. They got to know something, bro. We guys, w- w- was the offense just too predictable then? Hey, was Arians the OC then? Yes. Wow. Yes. yes. So it was that predictable. It was so predictable. For them. It wasn't predictable. We whooped everybody else's. Bro, we had won 13 games in a row. Wow. We went 13. We went 14 and one that year or something like that. Or something crazy. Something crazy, bro. We had won. Big Ben came in and he pushed off 13 games in a row. Smash. We were smashing people, man. And all of a sudden, you know, we got to buy, went in. Won another game, and then here we are in the championship game, and they beat us like we stole something. Wow. Hey, playing against New England, what, what was their preparation really what set them apart and how they prepared and what they did to you guys? That, that, that To me, it just seems that their preparation is always just second to none compared to everyone else. And we were one of the most prepared teams also. Agreed. You guys were fifteen we were one that year. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, we 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 prepared. We prepared. Who'd you lose like to no that other. year? We lost to uh, the Ravens. The Ray. Oh yeah. And, and I remember that game because the way they beat us. First of all, they knocked um they knocked um our starting quarterback out, and here comes Ben. You know, and and Ben didn't know anything, bro. And they they threw these exotic blitzes at us. They would have literally eight guys from the center all the way to the right side. Eight guys um, on that side with only two guys on the other side. I'm like, how are they playing this defense? But we did not know how to, to combat it. We couldn't send enough people there. They, and it seemed like there was nobody So Ben open. couldn't get you out of that and adjust on it and audible couldn't out of it. He wasn't no. – he wasn't – he was just big. He was a big had him so that he was one dimensional. When you guys came to the line of scrimmage, 
he he couldn't audible out of that because he didn't know what to audible to because he hadn't seen these exotic looks. And really, dude, that probably messed up the entire blocking scheme too for the O-line. If your quarterback can't – you know what's funny? That's a great point about Jalen because Jalen's got to set the blocking scheme and yep. he's got to find the wideouts. And if you're a single – look at, look at Ben. Ben probably was a single wideout guy when he first got in there. And all of a sudden, when you can't set the blocking assignments and you can't find the guys, and that's why you're going to single coverage and you can't find single coverage, that quarterback's on his back. Bro, you have to have there's, – there's got to be somebody open when you have half the guys on, on the right side of the line of scrimmage, on the right side of the center. He couldn't identify it. No, and then you got you 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 got single coverage on the two guys on the other side by yeah. themselves, and there was no way that we could redirect the um the uh you know protection or anything. And he was he got sacked probably like eight times that game also, you know. So they just had the greatest game plan. So they, we lose there. He goes in the next week, and then we just run off. Boom, boom. We just beat people. Boom, 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 boom. All the way to the end of the season, man, and then, um, you know, the, the Patriots beat us and made us. So the Patriots made us like took it. what the Ravens did. They did. They the Patriots took what the Ravens did to you earlier in the year and made it part of their game plan. No pressure the, on pressure on Ben. The Ravens ran a defense that I didn't know I had never seen before. Oh, so they came at you guys something different. Yeah, they were they were adjusting to our plays before we even had them. Sliding to strong side or weak side, stuff like that. But they'd have individual guys doing their own thing. Oh, oh, so you oh, they had guys freelancing. Yeah, so you know, Bruski Lewis and Reed are freelancing. Yeah, so you have um you have Bruski. Bruski's supposed to line up at the Mike linebacker. He'll see something, he'll walk all the way and, and line up on the line of scrimmage on the opposite side and 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 tell the uh defensive tackle, hey, you you come out here too. So they'd void an entire area. We just couldn't take advantage of that play because we had already called. And they wait till the last second to do it. Yeah, because so. the, the quarterback, that's what Vilma told me, how you get Peyton Manning. You know how you got Peyton Manning? Before they move, Peyton's got to set the old line. You've got to put him down yep. five seconds before. And what Vilma would do is shade, shade, uh, shift. And they would go to where they were. And that's how they won that Super Bowl against the uh, the Colts was because that they were doing that. And Jonathan Vilma was waiting for the for the O line to have to get set. That's interesting. You know why? Because you look at Jonathan Gannon, man, you ain't got one dude on that defense <laughs> that could play like look, look at you laughing. They ain't got one dude on that defense where you could line guys like that up in exotic defenses. Nope. Nope. Because, man, that's years of playing ball, man. When you can do that and you identify all of that, man, that, you know what? And we're talking about Vrabel, Brewski. We're talking about good players, not yep. spectacular players, but they're put in spectacular positions, right, Barrett? You got McGinn, Willie McGinnis. Exactly. Winnie McGinnis, Chris Slade, uh, the defensive tackle. They got, um, they got Wolfert there, you know. Guys that can was Seymour there? Huh? Was Seymour? He was the he was the tackle, and 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 Wolfork was the uh, nose guard. So you got guys that can handle things one on one and be out of position and still make a play. You know, and that's what makes them so good. You got a safety that 
all right, you know, he wasn't the fastest guy in the world, but Harrison, he was so smart. And he was supposed to be a box safety. But if you watch that game, he was a coverage safety the entire game. He was a box safety but played coverage the entire game. He wasn't even by the line of scrimmage. He was playing back in coverage. Let those guys up front do all the moving around and everything. So, I mean, it, that defensively, they gave it to us. We couldn't do anything about it. Nothing. We couldn't so, run the ball on them because they were overloaded to the play. They just did a lot of things that were non um Non-conforming non-traditional. To what you, do. you know, they did. They, they didn't form the basis of a of a of a, a technically sound defense. You know, you want to you want a technically sound defense. Can you keep so you can keep every gap covered? They didn't do that. They were willing to leave two gaps uncovered because they know that their research had them in the right position. Well, the owner also said yesterday that they're one hundred percent committed to Jalen. And my question, and they want a prolific passing game. And I proved to you just by the numbers and what we talked about yesterday with the receivers. What do you think? Of the, what do you think has been the best passing year in the history of the owner owning the team since '95? The year that Wentz threw for all them yards, the four thousand yes. yards. Yes. Okay. So that's the best passing season that the Eagles have had in the history of the current ownership and how we being in the building since 2000. Yep. Very underwhelming. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just shocked that we don't have not, a, I mean, I'm, I was thinking like a 5,000 yard passer. We don't have a 4,000 yard passer since Carson. Well, Hoss, when your all time wide receivers played in the eighties, <laughs> and Harold Carmichael is still your number one wideout in a game today. I want to give you guys even more to chew on here with this. Jaws probably threw the ball 20 times a game, 24 times a game back in the 70s and 80s. If Harold Carmichael is still the all-time receptions guy for the Philadelphia Eagles, you've not had a prolific <laughs> passing game. In today's Hunter Renfro has 104 catches with Derek Carr. If you don't have a 1,200-yard guy on your team, you, you're not in the average of the NFL. The Eagles keep talking about this prolific passing game. You've I never told you. one. I told you. I said it before. You know, Mr. Lurie wants a Tom Brady-esque type of offense type of player. And we just, I mean, those players come few and far between, you know, and we thought we had it with Carson. I mean, Carson, I'm, I'm, I mean, I was a big Carson fan, man, because I really thought Carson was going to develop into a really good quarterback. And he, he just, I mean, he, he really, he really hurt, he really hurt the Eagles organization because he was supposed to be that guy. Oh. He said he has set them back 10 years. No question. I mean, they jumped up and spent all that draft capital, everything, and positioning in the draft to be gone two years, three years after they won a Super Bowl, which was he had a dynamic year. He was up for being um, MVP. Yes. He did everything right. I mean, he, he, you name it, Carson Wentz was able to obtain it. 
and it, it just fell apart. Here, here. Career leaders for the Philadelphia Eagles. Jesus criminy. It's a dog. <laughs> okay. And everybody was kind of like on my Twitter going, Sills, we had so your all-time wideouts. One, Harold Carmichael, 1971 to 83. Pete uh Retzklaff. Tight end. 56 to 66. In today's NFL, those are one and two. You got a guy that played when Eisenhower was president. That's number two in your roster. Deshaun Jackson is third. Mike Quick, your color analyst, is fourth. Hey, Tommy Dan, McDonald is still Dan. in the top ten? Dan, stop making fun of us, dog. Man. Stop making fun of us, man. Stop making fun of us, man. <laughs> I'm not. I'm pointing it out like this. How are you in today's NFL talking about a prolific passing attack when you got guys from the 50s, 70s, and 80s still at the top of the receiving yardage list? In today's NFL, Barrett, Barrett, the game is set up for teams to have 4,000-yard passing Passing guys. Yes. It's set up. What's his name? Blake Bortles threw for 500 yards against the Steelers in a in a playoff game or some shit like that, I remember. I see Stiffs getting 450 yards passing in a game. And the Eagles got guys from the 60s and 50s in the top four. Dude. Dan, stop making fun of us, bro. Hey, man. See, don't say that, man. Now you're making me look like a ha- – I'm not hating. I'm at, I'm like – I'm going like oh, – look at it. See what he's doing now? He's aiming the shit at me now. Okay. <laughs> no, but, I mean, it's true, man. I'm, I'm looking up all these passing yardage, man. Um, If it weren't for that one year that Carson passed for 4,000 yards – McNabb has the third had, would have the record at thirty nine hundred. Yes, right? yes, yeah, yeah. He would have the record, and that's only separated by what a hundred, hundred something yards. Yeah. But other than that, man, I mean, with the Eagles, he had twenty six hundred yards. He had the year four thousand yards. Then he had three thousand yards one year, thirty two hundred yards, thirty seven hundred yards. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm going to talk about Kelly Green when we get back because I want I want because I, I love the Kelly Green. Okay. I, I I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna see, man. I'm gonna take a freaking time out here, man. Uh, oh, by the way, I, I hey uh, Xander, make sure you get that picture posted. I want to hit on that thing with the captain when we come back out. That's Barrett Brooks, Dan Cilio, back in three. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You... 
could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. Go for the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the wind. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Oh my God, this is even better. No, this is. This is a different team here. He is Barrett Brooks, Dan Cilio. Jim Mersey calls Carson Wentz era a mistake. Unmute. And he said, I want to rewrite the mistake that I wrote. <laughs> well, the there's no question writes- Chris Ballard and the head coach did not want him out. The owner did. Right, right. Oh, bro. He said, you know, we have a thing, you know, my fraternity. Moving finger to the rights and having rent. It moves on. Well, that's exactly what happened. He moved on quick. He said, I was going to rewrite that mistake. It was a mistake. And we didn't want to compound the mistake by leaving him here. So I moved him on. They had no, they had no type of uh, 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 say so in it. You're out. You're gone. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, he said they were going to cut him. They got two threes for him. I know that he was so pissed. He probably Jim Mersey was so pissed off on how the season ended. I guarantee you, he called Chris Ballard and he called Frank. We had Frank on what was it, Xander, last week, and it didn't come off to me that he wanted him out of there. It came off to me because he's like, I love Carson. Carson knows that. And I'm betting anything. Chris Ballard and him were trying to talk Ursay off the ledge. He's like this. Absolutely not. I do Get not want this guy on my team. Boy, at this point, he was like, no, what did I say? You know what I'm saying? Is there any, yeah. is there any question? You is want your question? No, there's no question here. 
he's got to go. It's either he goes, you go. Yeah. <laughs> that was that's. I mean, that's being a heavy hitter. Ursay said, "Look, this is my team. I spend the money. I pay your salary. You got to go." It's not anything mushy, like you know, like how he could have been like, ah, but come on now, Larry. I, I really want him here. I, I think we need to keep him here. There was none of that in there. It must have made Ursay sick to his stomach that he was an eagle that long, even after the season. <laughs> There's no when I see these comments, I don't see Chris Ballard or Frank Reich talking shit like this, man. He's no. like, no, we had we had to get out this out of here. This was not gonna, this was it not was acceptable. There was no questioning who wanted him out of there. It was plain. I mean, you. I mean, write it down. Take a picture. That's how I want him out of here. He didn't backtrack on anything. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Get don't that. Guy, get that piece of you know what out of this building. Right. I. I don't care how you do it. And by the way, if he's here by March 18th, I'm cutting his ass. Better get hey man, they were probably scrambling. Bro, but just put it in perspective, Dan. A wide receiver, they gave up all that for a wide receiver. First round was a first who um, Tyree Kill? Yeah. Yeah, one, two, three, four, and a four and a six or some <laughs> shit like that. Five picks. <laughs> and the money. And a franchise quarterback. Two thirds. <laughs> hey, but what's crazy is, is that the Browns are going to cut Mayfield. Uh, he was the number one overall pick five years ago. I, okay. you know, hey, by the way, let me ask you something then. Okay, all that being said, you really believe that Jalen Hurts is a better passing quarterback than Carson Wentz? Yes. I'm uh, you, Barrett? Uh, no, no. I think he'll be a better quarterback. Have a better quarterback career than than, than Carson Wentz. See how he changed the question? Yeah, not not <laughs> That's a, a professional pass. media guy. That's a no, professional media guy right there. Carson has a better arm. That's a Hurts. professional media guy. What he's doing right there? <laughs> he's moving the question around on me. He's moving the yardsticks on me. All right, all right. <laughs> he will be a he will be a better quarterback. Jalen Hurts will be in the league a long time. More so than Carson Wentz. I don't think Carson Wentz. Um, Carson Wentz really isn't totally invested in his craft. Put it like Agreed. that. He's not totally invested in his craft. Carson Wentz could be a hell of a quarterback. He could be 10 times better than what he is if he made the commitment to being a quarterback full-time. He's not. He's Agreed. more committed to everything else. And that's the only thing about football that's tough for me to swallow. Because in order to be a great football player, you have to be totally invested in everything. Everything else has to take the back burner. Everything, your family, everything has to take the back burner. And I don't think, you know, not, of course, faith won't. You know, you, you never, you know, it's impossible to please, you know, you, you know, please yourself and please God. You got to make sure God is number one. But Yeah, but you got to be willing to run through hell, not just yes. heaven. Yes, to play you, an and that's NFL it. Guy. You have to be totally committed, and your family has to understand that also. That football has to be first because it's a small, it's a small sample size of your life that you have to be in. You know, totally 
uh, invested in the commitment of being an NFL football player. And I wish I would have learned that earlier in my career. Me too. I thought football would have been forever because I was playing. I thought it was going to be forever, but it wasn't. But he so has not totally professional. Invested. Yes. He hasn't invested everything into football. You, and in order to be great, you have to do that. That's what sets greatness, um, the greatest players, away from being good players. You know, if you listen to Shannon Sharp, Shannon Sharp said, you know, during his NFL football career, the reason why he has a gold jacket, but he put everything in front of him. He'll, he said he admitted it. He put his kids, his mother, everybody on the back burner when it came to football. Everything. And I, I I couldn't make that total commitment until after, you know, my my fifth or sixth year, and that's only to stay in the league. That's why I did it. You, you know what? You know what's funny, Barrett. I had this conversation with you know what, with my daughter a lot. And when you're in broadcasting, or you're in anything, you and I, because we were trained to be all in. When you're all in on something, you take everything we do seriously, and it's you're gonna. Start something, you're going to finish something, and you're going to be vested in it, okay? Yep. I tell my daughter, that's why she goes, Dad, you sound like you're talking about, well, you come off like you're an egomaniac, self-centered piece of you-know-what because you have to be – and you're not trying to be arrogant. You're not trying to be condescending towards anyone. But, hey, I got to get up today and I got to run. Hey, I've got to watch what I eat. Hey, I've got to make sure I get over to the gym here. Hey, I got to make sure, listen, I'm not going to be able to go to that because I've got to go to a team function. Hey, I got to do this. Hey, I got to do that. Before you know it, you're talking about I, 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 I. And yep. your family looks at it like, well, where's my moment? Yep. And that's what I respect Brady for so much because, dude, this guy's got a supermodel wife. She don't need him. She nope. makes more money than him. And for what Giselle has done, and I'm sure your wife too for you, and all of that, hey, all the bullshit that I've been through, my wife's been with me through the highs and through the lows, and there's been many in my life. And she's been with me through all of that. My aunt as well, been through the highs and through the lows. And they have to know that sometimes your true love that you have in your life is your sport and your trade and your craft. And it's isn't it, isn't it, Barrett, it's almost like embarrassing to say, your first true love is football. Yep. yep. And when that divorce comes, it's a forced divorce. It's not like you, it's not like and, you and it breaks you down a bit. Yeah. It, it's not like you will, you're, you're leaving willingly. Put it like that. You know, I had to stop playing because of the injury. If I wasn't injured, I'd still be trying to make a roster right now. Yeah. But how did that, how, how did that transit, man? It was, it was, I go, man, something I'd done since I was 10 years old. I was 35 when I stopped playing. And I was like this, Barrett. Shit, man. You leave something. I mean, I love football, man. I loved it. I loved the game. And I didn't love the game. I'm going to lie. I didn't love the game, honestly, until I got to college. Okay. That's when I started loving because I love the – I mean, I, I love the intensity. In high school, I love the intensity. You love competing? And competing. Yeah, I yeah. love the competing. That's what I loved in high school. It wasn't until I got to college that I learned to love the game. That's when I got really involved with the ins and outs of being a dominant player. That's when I learned how to really go out there and, and really impose my will on people. Because in high school, it was just too easy. 
But when I got to college, I had to work at it a little bit. I had to invest my time and I had to invest that love into it. And I saw my body starting to change from not lifting weights to now starting to lift weights. I'll start, you know, taking the athletic talent, becoming a dominating player because I'm stronger than most players now because I started lifting weights now. I could do more things. Then the love really started flowing. Then I like, all right, I'm starting to get a little notoriety and I can take this and finesse it into a, um, a career, you know, and that's when it really took off for me. Before that, I just love to just go out there and just, you know, just because I was better than people, just do what I wanted to do out there. My, my my epiphany to all of it was I got to Miami and Coach Johnson said something to me that was so profound. He looked at me and he goes, you know why I'm always never talking shit on my players? You tell a player who he is, he'll remain. You tell a player what he can be, he'll become. And Jimmy believed in that philosophy because he you know he had a psychology degree at Arkansas. He, he believed in telling people what they can be what you will be. Follow me here. Blind faith. I'm going to lead you here. I'm going to show you. Hard work, kid, is going to erase all the shit in your past. I went out there and I worked my ass off. Our legendary inside drills. I'm playing against some of the greatest players in the country. These coaches would come down from all over. Uh, Switzer, um, Saban, all of these guys would come down and watch us practice for three hours of this inside drill. And I'll never forget um, New Holtz and uh, the coach of Penn State, Paterno, were all like, how do you get these guys to practice so hard? And Jimmy goes, fear. These guys have no back doors. A lot of these kids are inner city kids. They have no way. It's jail or yeah. it's going to the National Football League. A lot of these kids – Michael Irvin's from a family of 17 – Damn. 17 kids, okay? Here's the story for you. I know you know because you played with Benny Blades. Benny Blades was on my team. And him and Brian Blades, by the way, both became pro bowlers. Yep, returning. And um, they had kids when they were in high school. So what the mother did was she took the kids in, raised them. While they were playing at Miami, they were so vested in getting Brian and Benny – to, I think the kid Perriman is Brian's son. And the kid that's playing for the Buccaneers now, I think that's his kid. He ended up going to UCF. Okay. Then he got drafted. Yeah, I think that kid played with the Ravens a little bit too. I think that's his boy. And these guys, man, worked so freaking hard. The family was so vested. When Benny signed his scholarship, and he's, then he signed in the NFL with the Lions. And – uh, Brian ended up signing, going on to playing in the pro in the NFL as well. They went back, bought the mama house, paid her off, did all the things. They're with those women to this day. They raised those kids. But that's the kind of shit that we had and the people I had around me. Dude, some of these guys were slinging drugs at night, and they were playing football on Sundays. They had no way out, Barrett. I'd never been around a group of dudes – that it was do or die. And it made me like this. Shit, man. Ain't no playing around down here with these brothers, man. Because, man, you, you're you down here with guys, man, that are crying and laughing. And there ain't nothing in the middle. And these families, man, I've never been around anything like that. And I respect and love every single one of those guys to this day because you know, St. Louis, like you said, man, I know I know that neck of the woods, man. 
You're no different from Overtown and Liberty City and all that shit. And there ain't no way out, right? Well, at, at, at the point of my life, man, it was either I was going to work for the post office or I was going to go into service, one or two. And I know I couldn't go to service because I had asthma. And at that time, if you had asthma, you couldn't go into the service. So I was going to have to work for the post office. But I wouldn't have made, you know, I, mean, I, I wouldn't have cared, though, you know, because, you know, everybody in my family worked at the post office. But me going in and seeing more, you know, really pushed me to 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 want to do something with my life as far as football. I saw I saw life outside of Kenlock, St. Louis, where I'm from. And once I saw that, that's when I started wanting more. Because I couldn't go back to that. I seen it tasted too much being in college. I seen I've seen you know things that you know I know I wouldn't have saw in St. Louis. I was in Japan. I played in um Colorado. I played in Oklahoma. I played at these different places. I was on planes flying to different places. You know, I went to Iowa. To me, that was a big deal to me because I had never been out of St. Louis, for real, for real. I mean, my pops was in the service, and my parents got a divorce. You know, I went to Germany, but what the hell is in Germany? You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you're at an Army base, but your your point is, I played with kids that had never been out of the state of Florida. Right, that's what I'm saying. So I saw more, so I wanted more. And when I look back and I saw guys go into the NFL and they come back and they got Mercedes, BMWs, they got money in their pocket. Here I am. I got child support to pay for my oldest son. And it was only $15 a month. It was $15 a month. I was cutting hair just to give, you know, send money that because they would actually come arrest me. SRS in Kansas don't play. They would come and arrest me if I didn't pay $15 a month. So I would cut hair just to send them, you know, you know, child support. I mean, those things right there open up my mindset that I got to get more. And I see this as a vehicle to get me where I need to go. So it was nothing. I mean, it was nothing. Nothing, but you know, more than me being able to accomplish it, you know, and go out there and make something happen. You know, and, and I wanted to prove, especially to my pops, because my pops, my pops was tough, man, because he used to call me bench warmer Brooks. It would, it didn't, he didn't care how successful I was. He would call me Bench Warmer Brooks. Hey, Bench Warmer Brooks, how you doing today? Like, Pops, come on. I stopped that. I'm starting. I'm an All-American. Yeah, Bench Warmer Brooks, man. You know, like, like, come on. So me, I was invested in making sure my Pops knew that I was a good player. You know what I'm saying? So that I mean, it, it was like a fueling fire. Bench Warmer Brooks. Bench Warmer Brooks. You know what I'm hey, saying? Hey, <laughs> man. My grandpa would look over, and he'd look over at some of these guys playing in the NFL. You can't do that. <laughs> you, 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 you can't do that what are you kidding me you're not, I think you're doing that I'll never forget when I called my grandpa hey I'm the 56th player taken in the National Football League draft as a junior and he goes damn and I, I was like right I could not believe I got a call man that I was like it was it was the most incredible thing in my life. Hang on, I gotta get a picture up here. Hey, um, Xander, look at this here, man. Oh, oh yeah. Tell me what this is, Barrett. So this uh for my doc, man. That's the you know, that's that's the captain right there. I'm 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 holding his wife. Which and he's one's right the captain? The, the the one that's in the middle. And the, okay, and the guy on the, the side of my cousin. That's my cousin. The only time he comes to see me is when it's flounder season, so he can come. We can win this. Tournament. This is the second year in a row we won this tournament. 
the and, and that's, that's his boat, the finer Danny you see right there on the check. But yeah, we won that man. That's the first mate, the guy on the far right, all right. But yeah, man, we won that man, and it, we won it off my fish. How big? I think it was the flounder. I think it was like five pounds, eight ounces, something like that, almost six pounds. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it won it, man. It won it, and, and it makes it so bad. We caught it like ten minutes into the um, ten minutes into the into the fishing event. And well, when shit, I caught just it, beer drinking later then, right? You mean you guys must have just got lit? No, I was fishing hard, man, because I because um the week before we had went out and fishing, and some guy caught like a seven and seven point eight pound fish, bro. And and we was like, wow, you know. So we didn't know what, and you know, those, those guys are calculated because all those guys in the dock they they talk to each other, and they got guys. Oh yeah, man, I got an eight pounder on the boat right now, man. You might as well just stop, you know. So. They're sending that over the over the radio waves so everybody can hear it. Five point nine, he says. Five point nine. Okay, there, there it is. <laughs> Five point nine, man, dude, that's a good haul in, bro. It was, and, and, and it was, it was, was it amazing. good eating. It was great eating. Great. I made some fried potatoes with it too. Ooh, man, <laughs> dude, my favorite fish those trout. You gotta try it. Trout's pretty good, man. I do eat trout, man. But we we say, you know, when we go freshwater fishing, we use that for bait. Because it's like real – in the ocean, man, it's like real things out there, bro. That, you know, his boat um, – Cam's boat probably his, – his boat is 35 feet long. Oh, damn. Yeah, so he's got a, he got a, he got a nice, nice boat. Cabo. He's got a Cabo, man. And it's, and it's about 35 feet long. Got a, you know, cabinet and everything. Nice boat, man. But there are stuff that's bigger than his boat out there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, hey Barry, let me tell you this, man. My grandfather's boat, when we were on it, was a slaughterhouse. <laughs> I, I had never seen things killed the way things were killed in these lobster pods. We're lifted, man. We catch bluefish, blackfish, bluegill, whatever it was out there. And, and we catch these blowfish. My grandfather would take the knife, cut that freaking head off, whack blood spurting everywhere. He put them things in the nets, put them in the pot. We're throwing over, man. He'd get eels, whack, cut the heads off, man. Use for bait. Moving around. I'm jumping on top. Of, I'm a little kid. I'm on top of the uh, on top of the deck of the boat. I'm looking. He's like, get your ass down here and clean it. I'm going, man, it was blood everywhere. My grandfather, we'd catch one of them bluefish. Boom, cut that head off, stick that head in that net, man. I mean, this is how we cleaned the boat, too, which made it even more insane. <laughs> We're out there eight hours. My grandfather, we, we, we lift 225 or 238 pots every other day. And this is He-Man. Where he had no wench. We're oh, doing this. No, 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 we no. Hey, no. Hey, Barrett, we're lifting. My grandfather, 65 years old. And he goes, Jesus Christ, Almighty, give me the damn rope. I'm because I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> going like this. Like there's just bricks in this thing, right? Uh -huh. My grandfather's stacking these things. Here, take this son of a bitch and putting them here. He's hollering all at me. I'm stacking. I got shit all over me, man. I'm out there. I can't raise my hands by the time we're done. Dude, this was no fishing experience for me. I did this for like 13 years, man. With my pop. So this is how we cleaned the boat. We'd have like Clorox and a broom. And my grandfather would take the cork out of the back of the boat. And he would just start scooting across the Long Island Sound. 
and he we're we're cleaning it, man. It's going. There's up water now. coming in the boat. Yeah. Well, no, he he would load the water up into the boat. That's what I'm saying. He took the cork off, the, so the boat is filling up with water. Up, the level would raise, and then he'd take off. <laughs> I'm in the middle of Long Island. I'm a little kid. My God, my grandmother, if she ever saw this shit, she would freak. <laughs> so we're going. The water starts going out the back. I'm scrubbing away. We put the cork back. Give me that son of a bitch. He put that, man. We did that every day, man. 4.30 in the morning. Freezing my baguettes off. That was life, that was, bro. That was life. Hey, man, I'll tell you what, though. It made me real. I, I, you know, every, like I told you before, anytime the pots get caught in the rocks, I had to dive in. <laughs> a bit, 15 feet, 20 feet, didn't matter. Get that damn thing off the. Oh, my God. I'm in a sandbar, <laughs> the rolling sandbars out in the middle of the ocean with a rake. Holy, it was. Hey, man, this old time guy, man, it was pretty crazy how he did shit, man. <laughs> Give me that son of a bitch. My grandfather lift these pots, man. He was just a hero of mine. Oh, and by the way, we did like, we did all that flounder fishing, man, with like cane poles. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Dude, cane catching, poles out there. We did the same thing with, um, with catching catfish, man. I mean, these catfish are like, sometimes I catch them. Like, I eat a cat. Pounds. 20 pounds, 30 pounds. Oh, cat. yeah. No, those catfish, man. I wasn't I noodling, but I was I was catching a man. Throwing them on the side. I loved it, man. <laughs> Just loved it, bro. I loved catching it. Catching them bluegills and catching them bass and catching yep. them catfish. <laughs> hey, brother, man. Awesome stuff again, man. Hey, we're going to have your boy um, D-Gun on. You guys are going to be starting that show on the 18th, so. Uh, he he is one hell of a guy, and I really love talking to him. So he's going to join me on the afternoon show at around 4.30 Eastern time on the National Football Show. Till tomorrow with Big B. Man, I love talking with yeah, him. I'll, man. Be in, I I'll, be in, um, I'll be in Syracuse, uh, so I'm doing the show from Syracuse, all right? Phenomenal, man. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you on the flip side. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. Imagine for a moment that you went to work today, and when you came home, you were catastrophically injured. Your life and your family's life. That's what happened to union construction worker Mike Little. I was scared of what the end was going to be, but to be 100% honest with you, I knew I was going to be all right just by talking with Brian. In my heart, I just knew everything was going to be all right. Call the firm and find out why they say, we got this. Call 215-458-2222. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the memories. Go for the view that goes on forever. 
over the bubbles in your bathtub and in your drink. Go to bed whenever you want. Or don't. Go for him. Go for her. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Seven, three. One, two, three. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.